How many of you have ever been uh, whitewater rafting? Anybody here? A few of you? <clears throat> On a number of occasions, um, I've had the privilege of doing that. I have a friend that is a guide and has been for like beyond his time. It's kind of like one of those things where there's a point where it's difficult to probably do that, I guess, ongoing, like, like doing that week by week. But he, he's been a whitewater guide for a number of years and has been all over the country and in different parts of the world. And so on occasion, I've been able to be with him and spend some time with him. And if you've ever been to a whitewater guide uh, place, uh, when you get there, basically, uh, they take your money they have you sign a waiver that if something happens, they're not responsible. And then uh, on occasion, they'll have like a short training class. And they will explain to you uh, what's, what happens if you don't pay attention and do what you're asked to do. And uh, it's not a beautiful thing. You know, you, you don't get excited about some of those, uh, the course there. And especially in light of the fact that like I've been with like students before and uh, they were all, like, playing around when all these, like, warnings were given, you know, kind of frightening thing. But anyway, uh, right before you get to the water, you get down to the water, oftentimes they will even, like, set the boat down or the, the raft, and they'll have you sit in it where you're going to be seated, and they'll tell you about how to kind of get locked in, and they'll show you a little bit about paddling, and they'll remind you of the commands that, that, that are that you need to like be able to heed while you're going down uh, this this uh, river. And so, uh, like I said, I've done that on a number of occasions. And um, it is important just to kind of understand that the safety of everyone on board has a lot to do with the whole team working together. And if the whole team's not working together, it makes it really difficult because really like you're helping drive it. The guide's telling you what to do, but if you're not paying attention... It, it really is, it affects the whole group. And so uh, sometimes they'll say the basic commands are like forward two. And everybody paddles two times, you know. Or there might be one of those things where you they'll say left back two, but the people on the right side, they keep paddling. And so they're always kind of coaching you along the way to get you down the river. Uh, this chapter that we've been studying is what often has been called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And uh, it's right before he endures the cross. There are three sections. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then we'll see, uh, which is what we're looking at today, he prays for all believers uh, for all time. And so in this, this kind of, as you think about it, that's a helpful way for me to frame it, just so I can put it together in my head. Now, in this prayer for all believers for all time, Jesus is going to emphasize unity. He's going to emphasize us moving together. It's uh, something that I think is very important for us because when you're living in a hostile world, or you could say moving down the kind of treacherous waters of this life, when you're doing that, it is important that you do that with this in mind, that Jesus has called us to do some things, he's told us some things, and if we can all keep that in our minds together, it will allow us to travel down uh, this road that we're on, the, the life that we endure. And it is important, and I think it is important for everyone, both in a church and as individuals, like 
uh, they, in the river system, there are different classes. There's like class three rapids, class four rapids. That's typically what you kind of get when you go on a, like a little family vacation and you go rafting. Class three and fours, they'll say, hey, we're coming up on a class four rapid. And, it, you know, because it, what they're doing is they're me- measuring it to say, okay, this is how difficult this particular rapid is. If you get into things like class five and six, it gets more dangerous, I guess you could say. But what we, I think it, for me this morning, when I think about this text about the church unified or moving in unison together, it, it is important that we understand that like, as we journey down the road that he's called us to, as we endure the difficulties of this age and we're fighting against the raging waters, we're not just doing that so that we come out on the other side okay. But there is this, this thought as the church is we are witnesses going along the way. And we understand that there are people that need to be rescued out of the water. That, that are in a state of, of great despair, and they might not even know it. And you're calling out as a witness as you move down through there. And, and, and I've, I've really never done that when I was out rafting, where I pulled a bunch of people in. Uh, but I have been canoeing, where that was kind of the case, where we would go along, and you're constantly trying to help those who have been, like, overcome by the waters, you know. So I think there are four truths this morning that keep us moving together through the treacherous waters of this age, that really kind of stood out to me when I looked at this text. The first one is union, then calling, then hope, and last is love. And I think we have to kind of ask ourselves this morning, is like, do, do we think about those very often? Because we need to. Like, we, we need to consider those truths. I'll mention them again, union, calling, hope, and love. Um, Jesus is praying, and this is always a good reminder, and I kept trying to say this all the way through, Jesus' prayers are always answered. And so he is praying on behalf of the disciples, and it's used to kind of help them understand and courageously move forward. They are not going, they're not on like a, a glassy lake, chilling, and kicked back with no worries. They're going into a raging river. And they are doing so not just for themselves. But for those out there that, like I said, may not even know that they're in dangerous waters. So, first one, 17, 20 through 23, the issue of union. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So Jesus here is not praying just for the eleven, because some people might say, oh, those first verses up there are for the 11. But you understand when you read this text that what he had prayed previously for the 11 is also should be true, or his prayer is also for those who would believe. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe. And so he is not praying just for his 11 up there and not for us 
here, right? It's not, this is not like just a new prayer. He's picking up those truths from before and bringing those uh, back down to apply to all of those who will believe throughout the ages. Jesus said in John ten sixteen, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And as we said, the New Testament is filled with this. The Jew and Gentile people being brought together as one church. That, that's, that is, I mean, that's when he, when he says, go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. It's this church unified from every tribe, tongue, and nation throughout the ages. And so Jesus is calling his sheep. Uh, throughout the world and generation after generation he is calling people to himself now i want you to turn to romans 10 romans 10 8 through 13 but what does it say the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith that we proclaim because If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. So I think it's important that we understand that, that we grasp that. Jesus is praying for all those who will call upon the name of the Lord. And we know all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That that is what he is praying for here. All those who will call upon the name of the Lord. And that is a reality. We come or we go out into this world and we call out to people and say, believe the gospel. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, he he went into heaven, he ascended into heaven, and he reigns as king. He came as the eternal son of God, he became flesh, and he died for us that we might have eternal life. And so we're proclaiming that to people. We're calling out to them and telling them that reality. And and, and what I'm saying is, and I think it's very important that we see here, is Jesus, not only is praying for all who will believe, and you see that again, and I I don't know if we're going to have time, but I want you to turn to Ephesians real quick. I just want you to see it. Ephesians 2 presents this. And really, 2, 13 through 22, and you could just mark it and say, it, it shows to us in a very clear way our, our, our union together, our being united together. You'll notice in verse, four, or verse 13, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again, speaking of the Jew and Gentile, those who are far off and those who were near. They were, they were all called together and they're united. You'll notice what it says in verse 16. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. These people are united together in Christ. Go on to Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit 
Just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. So he presents here this unified people. They are united together. There's a oneness, a spiritual unity that transcends anything that this earth would have to offer. It's centered around these foundational truths. So, and I think it's just important to say this, the unity that Jesus is praying for is not merely outward unity. There's a spiritual unity here. It's tied to the relationship of the triune God. Certainly we see the relationship of the Father and the Son, but then we could even say even further, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Believers, are, you could say, are of one mind, effort, and purpose. Well, there's a, a unity here that we are seeing on display. It is a spiritual unity. It is an eternal unity. It is a unity that, that transcends anything in this age. So I think as I'm trying to think about in my life, journeying down these, these troubled waters, there, there's something that holds us together. There is a unifying of us as we put our faith in Christ, we're hoping in Him, we're clinging to Him, we're resting upon Him. There are these, these truths that have been passed down throughout the ages that the church has held on to uh, throughout history. That Christ died, that Christ was buried, that Christ rose again, that Christ ascended, that Christ reigns, and that He came to save us. And so those things, we keep reiterating that you're united together in those truths. And then there's this spiritual union that really we experience by the Spirit that brings us together as one. Now, I was, um, a number of years ago, I I was teaching on Romans 6, and I listened to a guy uh, that was a pastor of, of guy that I just, he really blessed my life. I almost felt like I knew him, but uh, he was someone I just heard uh, teach, and he um, talked about this unity, and he said that um, when he was growing up, his mom would make biscuits, and uh, she would take flour and shortening and milk and baking powder and salt. She would put all those ingredients into a bowl and stir them up, and then however all that works out, she would end up with this dough and flatten it out and then go through and like, you know, like cut out little biscuits and put them in the oven and they would cook for 15 minutes or whatever and they would come out golden brown, ready to be eaten. And he loved when she did that. And, um, but his point in the, in the text was, he was saying there is this unity that we experience that is something like that. All of these coming together and becoming one, you can't separate them after that. There is a oneness that we have in Christ. We're united to Him and united to one another that's inseparable after you experience that. And and you can't pull those ingredients apart, nor can you pull apart His people. And so one of the things that I think as we go through, like I said, the treacherous waters, is to remember the spiritual union that we have experienced in Christ. Second one, we have, we're united in calling. Verse 20 through 23, again, you'll notice here. and you just, We've read that once, but I just want you to see. Verse 23 at the very end, so that the world, I'm sorry, look at verse 21. 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. This union draws us together to do what? Tell the world. To go out into the world. We are to be witnesses in this world. I've heard people say, you know, every other thing God calls us to do could be done much better in heaven. Our worship will be better in heaven. Our fellowship will be better in heaven. I mean, there's a lot of those things, but, but witnessing to the world, we will not do that in heaven. And so we are to go out into the world and demonstrate both in our attitudes and love for one another and our actions and in our words, we are demonstrating a united front out into the world. That's what we do. And so anytime you see somebody trying to break up the unity and Paul will talk to him, he'll say, what are these? He'll call people out for like trying to disturb the unity. Because the church has to be unified in order to do what they're called to do. They have a lot of work to do. We're called to do things. And so to sit around and like get all mixed up on things that don't matter as much as the mission is foolish. And so we kind of, we come together. Again, we're in my mind this morning. We are in the raft. We're moving down together with this one kind of focused vision of like reaching out to those who are lost i'm not gonna make you turn there because due to time but romans 10 14 through 17 says how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So you're united, there's a spiritual union that takes place, but there's also this calling to go out into the world with this message. It is something that honors the Lord. It is something that you see the disciples doing and those following after them doing. They are going out into the world, out into the darkness, out into the the treacherous nature of this age, and they're going out there with this message. That's their calling. That is what they are to be about. Some people view the church as a place to come kind of Let's all get together and, and, and they'll even create like sub-worlds. Let's do it, put everything together so that we'll never have to step out into the world. We can just gather together and we can play golf. I mean, they'll have like, you know, it's kind of funny. But they'll have like golf courses and, and, and workout centers and, and you'll have this and that. And it's all, it's like, come here and we'll kind of get away from this world. We're going to kind of like insulate ourselves from the world and we're kind of in a barricade 
or we're going to go dig a hole and hide down there and wait for Jesus to return. The problem is, that is not, that's not biblical. It's not living a life of faith. It is not advancing forward. It is not onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. That's not the picture. The picture is that you're going out into the world, unified in mission. You're going out into the dangerous places, the dark places, the places where you're like, oh my goodness, like you're going to be snatching people out of the fire and you might get like nipped by it. That's what you see in the end of Jude. Might get dangerous out there. It's like a dangerous calling. So there's a spiritual union and then he's People moving out with the vision of like reaching out to those in darkness. Told the disciples. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Some people would say, just sit there. Hide. Hiding doesn't go and make disciples. It's not, our goal again in life is not to stay away from this lost and dying world. It is to go into it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. There's something about it that is global in scope. It means like sacrifice. I mean, we're talking sacrifices like picking up everything and moving out into the world into places you've never even been before. Into places where maybe you don't even know the language. Go out into all the world and preach this gospel. Jesus says, it's not that Jesus, I mean, it's a very important thing to say. He's not saying, and he said that in the early part of 17, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. And and what he says here in the Great Commission is, I am with you to the end of the age. I'm never leaving you. I'm going to be with you, but I'm not taking you out of this world. I'm actually calling you to go into it. And sometimes people, we have a tendency to think like, oh, I want to serve the Lord. And so we'll think that what that means is... um, within the walls and we do serve the lord within the walls there's no no question but um i remember hearing the story you know sunday school didn't used to that term was not didn't start out in the church building there's people that had a passion to like reach people this one person the most of the things i've read it's like he went to these little children that had like did not have anybody, any kind of spiritual influence. And they, they went, he went there in the community and began to like do studies with these people and like almost like backyard Bible club kind of things to reach them, to impact them, to, to help lead them to Christ. You might ask, well, good night. I mean, that, do we have power for that? Again, Acts 1.8 says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. The church really is the pillar and the support of the truth. We're, we're, we do gather together, and this is really the way I think the Bible presents it. We gather together to equip an army of soldiers 
to go out into the world. So I, I say, like, hey, here's the deal. You're going out there. You're about to get on the raft. It's going to be difficult. It, it, there's kind of crazy rapids out there. I'm not making you sign a waiver, but, like, you're going out there. I'm going to solidify you in this, that we are unified. I'm going to solidify you in the fact that you're called to do it. I'm going to solidify you in the fact that Jesus is with you. But, but I'm not saying don't go out there. I'm saying actually the exact opposite. Third thing. Well, hold on. Let me. I, I did watch a, a um, some of you may have been, I don't know. Is anybody a Duck Dynasty fan? You wouldn't admit it if you were, maybe, I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, there were good shows and not such good, you know, episodes. But um, I was listening to those uh, folks like the other night, and they were talking about, there, there was just this video done recently, and the, I guess the show's over, I'm not, I'm not 100%, but like they were talking about like the avenues that, that opened up, because Phil, who's kind of the leader of Duck Dynasty, was uh, not real fired up about doing it at first, but after he did it, he just said like the, 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 the places that he was able to go uh, and speak and the people he shared with and all that kind of stuff were just insane. His wife was talking about that, the kids were... And it really was one of those things where they were saying, like, these, all, of this, all of our lives now have become this platform to share the gospel. And we try to do that everywhere we go. And, and uh, it was just a reminder to me that, um, that and, and I think it is very important that we have to understand that, like, God gives us the place that he gives us to be for the time that he gives us to be so that we could, like, touch people there. I mean, that, that's kind of, and, and so... He, he uses, oftentimes, that's part of the means that he uses for you to be, be, be used of the Lord. So, okay, so third thing that we see is the issue of hope. And I think that's important. This is the third truth that I see that kind of helps us move in unison together. And, and I, I think it's helpful to, to see that in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me from before the foundation of the world. There's something very powerful about getting a vision of the future. That, that's one of the strongest motivators I really believe in the New Testament that like keeps you from like putting your head down in this age and living for it. It's, it's the future. I mean, that, that's what should be constantly on your mind. What is coming? And what he's praying is, is that, that they would like, kind of, and I think it's very powerful. He's, Jesus is praying, Father, I want them to see my glory in the future. I want them to experience, in a way you could say, the ultimate end of what eternal life is, that that's to be in his presence. So what keeps you moving forward is that I'm going to get back in the boat and go out into the world because I have this hope of a future. Jesus has prayed for it and it will come to pass. And that grounds me in the fact that like this age, although it may be extremely difficult, Paul says has nothing to compare to the glory that is to be revealed. So that third kind of foundational truth is very, very important. I don't have time to go back into it, 
I would, all, I would go back to John 10, if I were you, and look at that shepherd and sheep thing that kind of reminds you of that. Uh, but also, in John six thirty seven through 40, it says, All that the Father's given me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of the, my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. What we see there is divine sovereignty and human responsibility on display. But what it says is to us that those whom the, 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 the Father's given to the Son come to the Son, they believe in Him, and He'll raise them up on the last day. And that's something you have to say to people. You have to say, listen, yes, it's dangerous. Yes, it's a dangerous calling, but there's this future that He's promising. And this future will not disappoint you. It will never disappoint you. The world in this age promises kind of like security, but the reality is we know that that is a false security. This is an eternal inheritance that will never fade away. So, you see, first, this union, spiritual union that we have. Second, this kind of calling that unites us. Third, this hope this hope that causes us to move in unison because we're saying to one another, we're coming out on the other side. You and I will make it to the other side. There is a future that's secure. It's reserved in heaven. Christ is reigning there now. He will return and when He comes, He will take us. Fourth, truth that I think helps us move through and move forward aggressively is love. O righteous Father, though the world does not know You, I know You and these know You that You sent Me. I made known to them Your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which You have loved Me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is saying here, I've made known the truth about me. I've displayed the glory of the Father to them. They've seen and understood and savored. They've beheld the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, Father, let them know in the fullness the love that you've shown us. A guy not too long ago I sat down with for lunch said to me, I really want to get a glimpse of the Father's love. And I say, you want to get a glimpse of the Father's love, I think you just keep running to the cross. Keep running to the cross. Keep seeing and savoring. There's no greater manifestation of the love of God for us than that. His love will be in them. It resides in them. It's what they keep telling themselves. I know you know, the, the, the world, I was teaching a Sunday school class earlier, and we were talking about acceptance and how much students sometimes like long for that. But it's like saying, like, I am accepted in the beloved. I don't feel that way all the time, but I am. What keeps the church moving through the treacherous waters together? So they're united in this love, both in the love that's been shown to them, but the love that's been placed in their heart that's given them a love for one another. 
And, and, and that should be part of what like, drives us and keeps us and holds on to us throughout all of our lives. So what if you're here today and you're not a Christian? We did like a little catechism question today. It talks about what that means if you're not a Christian. It means that you're under the judgment of God. You are outside of the wrath. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, outside of the wrath that we, we would like present in our minds here this morning. It means that you're without hope. It means that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. It means that you're blind and deaf and hopeless. Again, I'm just... It's a shocking reality. If you're not a Christian here this morning, these four truths do not apply to you. So what do you do with that? Well, the church is here. The church is here in a life raft. Christ is that. He is holding on to us, keeping us, watching over us so that we could come to you and say, repent, believe the gospel. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Turn to Christ. That that is your only hope in this life and the one to come. Turn to Him. And we we call out to you and say, that is the hope of the gospel. What if you are a Christian? You believe the message. You're in the wrath. You have these truths that secure you. These truths that unify you. You're united to Christ. You have a calling. You look forward to the hope that you have. And you experience His love. Just say to you, as you go down those treacherous waters of this world, you are to reach out to the deaf and the blind and the dead And you're to rescue the perishing by the power of the Spirit through the Word of God. You're to speak those truths. Church is a witness. And oftentimes for some, this time of year, around Easter, it may be the only time they really think about Jesus that much. You have an opportunity to witness of that truth. We celebrate by calling out to captives, come get in the boat. We can't do the changing of hearts. But we do have a commission to go and proclaim that message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that we as a church would understand our unity at a much greater level than we have ever before. Pray that we would see and savor that that reality, that we would know the security of it. I pray, Lord, that we would be unified in the mission, not thinking of ourselves, but thinking of how we can serve others in this world as we seek to be a gospel witness. I pray that we as Christ Community Church would be an example to others of that passion and zeal to go out into the world with the message. In Christ's name, amen.